that way. Let's stand together, please, for the reading of the Word of God. Chapter 6, verse 1. We, the definition, that's you and that's me. We. Say we. We. Is that hard to understand? Everybody got it? We then, that's time, we then, as workers, as what? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we are laborers together with God. We're workers in the field and to be there with the Lord's help. Workers together with Him, with God, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in the time of accepted, in the day of salvation, have I succored thee before now is the accepted time, and behold, now is the day of salvation. Give no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. Put emphasis on verse 3, giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. And then back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, let me read just a verse there, if I could, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, verse 2. Let no man, or let a man account, so account for, for... Let me start over again. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers, workers, laborers, of Christ and stewards, that's a manager over somebody else's affairs, and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Talking about to be or not to be, that is the question. To be separated or not to be separated is the question. You get saved and go from the point of salvation, of being birthed in the family of God, it is a constant sanctification process that goes with us all the way through until we're glorified. Justified, not guilty in the eyes of God. Sanctified means set apart for the master's use. Ben labors together with him. And as long as you live and as long as I live, since the day of our salvation, we're supposed to be laboring with God. He's the senior partner of our life. He is the power behind what we do. And I'm grateful to God that he is. And so we're supposed to be involved in the work of the Lord. And all of us ought to do that. And let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege we have to be in church again tonight. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to gain the truth. It'll be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. I said this morning I was going to take the word standards and make an outline out of it. Eight or nine letters, so there's eight or nine points in this sermon. So I got the number one today, and I want to review it just a moment, and then I'll get to the second letter of the, of the word standards, and I'll not go through the whole outline tonight. But if we're going to be a part of the work of God, God wants us to be faithful to Him. He wants us to be excited about working along beside of God. If the Lord Jesus were here tonight, and being like the 12 apostles, to be able to walk with Him, talk with Him, they ate with him. They saw every avenue of his life, every facet of his life. 
they watched him over and over again. And just to be able to behold Jesus personally would be a great honor. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to walk with the Lord, talk with the Lord, and to minister with him in the area that God has placed us in. One of those areas, of course, is soul winning, and he ought to help us to be better soul winners. And he will if we allow him to. As a worker in the work of the Lord, I've got to yield myself to his ability, not my ability, to his strength, not my strength, his power, not my power, and to enable me to do the work of the ministry. I say this morning, all of us are ministers. If we leave tonight, we walk out the doors, and let's say there's a hundred ministers here, you're going out to do service for the Lord. You come to church to fellowship with God and with each other to go out and be a minister in the world that's not so receptive to us. To go out in a world that hates us, to be honest with you. The Bible says, love not the world. Now, I'm talking about individuals. We're talking about the system behind the individuals. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That is a convicting verse. The lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And he says, love not the world. Then he says, come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Come out from what? Come out from among the world and be separate, saith the Lord. He's the one who's helping us. He's the one who's molding us. He's the one who's developing us. And so it's important for us to realize that we get contaminated by this world system. This world system hates us. It's spearheaded by the devil himself. He's the satanic power that oversees the God of this world. He's the God of this world. And everything he can to disrupt and dis discourage individuals, he will. Everything he can to get him to get, if he tries to block what we're trying to do for the cause of Christ, he will. Uh, he never ceases uh, to be on the job. Somebody said one time about a woman, she never said anything bad about anybody. You ask her about anybody in the world, and the, the, she never would say a bad word about them. She'd always say something good about them. They said, ma'am, if the devil were here, you'd probably say something good about him. She says, well, one thing about the devil, he's always on the job. Now, she made it in a positive terminology, but negative speaking, he's out to destroy you and to ruin wreck and destroy you and me. And the Bible has a lot of, the devil has a lot of power that's been given to him and allowed to him by God himself. He used to be an archangel in glory and he fell from that state and now is going to and fro seeking whom he may devour. And the devil wants to keep you out of the service of the Lord. He wants to keep you out of the ministry of the Lord. So the first area that I've got to learn how, if I'm going to have that separation from the world and to walk with God. And remember, I've been saved. You've been saved. Let's just see how many have been saved. If you've been saved, would you say amen? amen? That means you've been justified just as though you never sinned in the eyes of God. I am not guilty. And right there is a place you go, glory to God, hallelujah. I'm not guilty. I've been saved. I've been, I am being saved, and I will be saved. But I have been saved, justified in the eyes of God. But then that sanctification process that begins the day you're saved, set apart for the master's use, set apart for the ministry. Sometimes I'm afraid we preachers, and including this one, has failed in developing our people. I was taking a survey the other day of Bible questions. There's a whole list of them, probably a hundred different questions. And said every Christian in the church ought to know the answer to these questions. And I went through and I knew a good many of them. I should because of all the years of preaching and teaching and some may get them all correct. But when the final analysis was 
and he passed them out to his local congregation, most of the people flunked the test. Now, that's not a compliment. And that's the pastor's fault to some degree for not developing the people as he should. There'll be things we ought to learn. That's my first point tonight. Surrender yourself to God. S stands for surrendering your will to do His will. And when you surrender and I surrender my will to do His will, and you surrender your will to do His will, we're going to do His will. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not my will, but thine be done. I alluded to that this morning and tried to illustrate the best way I knew how. But he was able to delight in the will of his Father, in the will of God. Psalms 40, verse 8, I delight in the law of the Lord. I delight in the Father's business. I delight in doing his will. And the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. I want to do the will of God. I have one life to live. It's quickly passing by. I want to do the will of God. And so I've got to surrender myself every day, yielding myself, if you please. Lord, here's my hands. Take my hands. They don't belong to me. The reason why I can't play poker cards, these don't belong to me. They belong to God. I can't gamble with my cards. And you've got to be careful about what you play with because sometimes you can get tempted to do something uh, that is not right and may even be evil. Uh, these hands don't belong to, my, belong to me. They belong to God. You just imagine these are not your hands. They belong to God. These are not my feet. I need to walk in His footsteps. This is not my, not His eyes, not my eyes or His eyes. And I'm asking for a special touch of my own eyes tonight, physically. They're His eyes. Have you ever contemplated going blind? I was listening to an illustration before church tonight. Somebody had the surgery and had to have their eyes covered for three weeks. They could not see with their eyes completely closed. So that's an amazing thought to have your eyes completely closed for a long time. But to be completely blind, Dr. Howes uh, made reference to him a while ago when he used to preach around the country. He'd go into a hotel room and uh, some period of time while he was there, uh, he would blindfold himself. And he'd walk around the room, go into each room blind, sort of feeling his way along. And then they said, why did you do that? He said, because we have a blind ministry. We have a ministry of the blind. It helps me to helps me to understand how they feel, sometimes how they grope through the room, how they try to get through and do things. He said, it makes me appreciate them. He said, sometimes I'd lay on, a, on the floor for a while to try to identify with a homeless person. I just try to find my way in, in identifying. I'd put, stop my ears up where I couldn't hear and see what it's like to go for quite a while without hearing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we aren't to come to the place in our life that we want to give him our hands, give him our eyes, give him our ears, give him our feet. And Lord, not my body, I surrender it all to you. I want your body. He's already got my soul, got my salvation soul the day I got saved. Now he wants my body. Can you imagine the audacity of God wanting my body? And the Bible says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. So that means all that I am physically belongs to God. And so I've got to yield every day because it's a battle because my flesh wants to take it back. My flesh wants to rule and reign in my life. And so, but if I yield myself to God, it makes a difference as I live my life each day. And, say, and probably several times during the day. I mentioned Dr. Beckham the other day as I asked him the question about his prayer life. It's always interesting to ask people who teach on prayer, preach on prayer, how's your prayer life? And it's always a good answer that they come back with because it's imperative that they understand that they're being quizzed or something they've been talking about. And he says, he says, 
I understand exactly the question, and I'm glad you asked it. He says, my prayer life goes like this. I start in the morning when I first get up, and I talk to my father. And he says, you know what I do, Brother James? He said, all day long, I just learn to talk to my father. Pray without ceasing. You can talk to God anytime, anywhere, any place. Just talk to him. You don't always have to be in a kneeling position. You don't have to always be in a set, set a time of 30 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour or whatever. But you can talk to God all day long. And he says some of the best prayers are when you're walking along and say, Lord, I'm getting ready to face a problem. And Lord, I'm getting ready to go into a situation and get ready to face a physical impairment and to be able to talk to your father. He's right there as close as breath is to your body. So may God help us today to be able to surrender our will to do his will. I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. Yea, thy law is written in my heart. Psalms 40 and verse 8. And I mentioned that to two things this morning. A deliberate decision. I've got to make the decision and throw up the white flag and say, Lord, it's your body. It's your life. Now, I know we need to take care of it, and I sometimes don't take good care of mine as I should, but this body is the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit of God. How many times have we talked about it? How many times have you heard it preached on it? How many times have I preached on it? That everywhere I go, I carry God. That amazes me. Kinston, when I walk over here towards you, did you know God is inside of me? Did you know God's inside of you? Boy, that's a good, yes, sir, that's great. And to realize that more and more as I walk across the platform, weak, frail, not very balanced, without a cane, without a cane watch me fall flat in the face, and walk across the platform, I just carried God. Tommy, I just carried God. You walk toward me, you just carry God. You say, big deal. Can I just say it emphatically and dogmatically? That's a big deal. Amen. That the great God of heaven, the creator of the world, the one who dipped his hand down the bow of nothingness and said, let it be, that it was. The creator, the sustainer, the redeemer of our whole life is the same God, the one who dwells in eternity past and eternity future and has no beginning and he has no ending. He is the great God Almighty, dwells in my body on the inside. I can't explain that. That's a steward of the mysteries of God that I'm supposed to yield myself, learn how to trust him more and more in my life. Oh, I feel so many times. I wish I could live my life over again. I wish somebody had sent me down when I was a young man and talked to me about the gift of the Holy Ghost. As a matter of fact, somebody asked me today, what is the gift of the Holy Ghost? The gift of the Holy Ghost is the power of God. But you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. But just knowing I'm carrying God. I don't know about you, but that sure is consolation to help you when you're facing problems. God is just as close as breath is to your body. Romans chapter 10. Draw nigh with your mouth. He's just as close to your breathing apparatus. God is there. I can't explain how all that happens. I can't explain to you how God dwells in my body and he dwells in your body. But he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. You say, preacher, I thought he was omnipotent. He is omnipotent, and he's omniscient. He knows everything. He's everywhere at the same time, and yet he is great enough and mighty enough and intellectual enough to know how 
to be in every individual's life at the same time. I cannot explain that, but I'm going to keep on enjoying the wonderful privilege that God walks with me and talks with me, and all I have to do is talk to him, and he's there close as my breath is to my body. He said I dwell, my body is the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit of God. So it's a deliberate decision, and number two, it's a decisive decision. If the Bible says it, I will obey it. And I left off talking about that this morning. We go to RU regularly through various training of just Brother Currington and others giving a little preview before RU begins on Friday night. And some of you have been there and maybe you'll come again. But one of those things, if God is against it, I'm against it. Well, a pretty powerful statement to me. If God's against it, I'm against it. And that the way it should be? In my process of growth, I should learn better and better how to be a recipient of the grace of God to help me to overcome the things that He hates. And there's a lot of things God hates. Well, the biggest battle most Christians face is pride. Our ego's on the line. If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves trying to be more than what we think we are, trying to impress somebody. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, and so are you. And I'll tell you what I deserve. I deserve to die in my sins. I deserve to burn in hell forever and forever and forever. But glory be to God. He reached down, Father, that I could reach up and save my wretched soul and place my name in the book of life. And by the grace of God, I'm going to make it to heaven one day. And I may get there and shake myself a little while and say, Wow, I'm here. What a joyful thought to know that God has enabled me and enabled you all of your life to live. And yet sometimes we live so far below where we ought to live as it relates to our Christian walk with God. A decisive decision. So climb upon the altar, body. And upon the altar, renew your mind on the altar. Every day ought to be a time of offering your sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, but a live sacrifice. We don't need no more dying as it relates to sacrifice for sins. Jesus fulfilled that. And when he died on the cross... Once and for all, he satisfied the wrath of God through his own sacrifice on the cross and the blood of Christ. But now he wants living sacrifices. Climb upon the altar and present your body. Lord, here's my body. Take it and use it today. Lord, help me to walk the walk you would walk if you were here. Help me to talk like you would talk if you were here. Help me to act like you would act if you were here. Lord, live out of me who you are on the inside of me, that I can live like you. Be ye therefore perfect as I am perfect, God said. And said, be ye therefore holy as I am holy. So surrender your will to God's will. And secondly, very quickly, be teachable. The letter T, teachable in order to teach. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Let's read that verse of Scripture. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. A Christian needs to be a learner. A learner. You ought to hunger for it. He says, come unto me and learn of me. There's so many things that I'm finding myself learning in my latter years that I think is my own fault I didn't learn in my early years. He said, come unto me and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come, come. I can teach you some things. They called him the master teacher. Nicodemus said, Thou art a teacher come from God. He was a great teacher, a great illustrator of how to teach humanity in his daily walk. It's amazing how the Lord taught. He said, Let me teach you a lesson. Then he'd take something physical, 
like the soil or a tree or a bird and teach a lesson from it. He was not complicated. A little child could understand it. Sometimes we make it so theologically deep that we have trouble grasping the truth of God. But the Bible is written on a simplicity avenue and written where a fifth grade child could probably understand most of it without any explanation. And it's very simple. And yet we make it complicated. And the Lord says, you just come to me. And the Holy Spirit is the teacher. And the teacher is going to remind us of what Jesus said. That's the whole responsibility. Holy Ghost of God, I will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that Jesus has taught. And the Holy Spirit will never lift up himself. He always lifts up the, the God of heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. He always lifts. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men into me. It's not so much the Holy Spirit being magnified, even though he's God. The Holy Spirit's responsibility in ministry is to bring us to the realization of what Jesus said and who Jesus is. He reminds us of what the price was paid and the ultimate goal was to be like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's on the inside of us to help us be like Jesus. Now, have you been like Jesus last week? Have I been like Jesus? Have I lived like Jesus? If somebody would see my life and watch it on a day-by-day -day basis, what would they see? Would they be say, well, he didn't act too Christ-like. I saw him at Walmart. I saw him getting that frustrated in line. I saw him when he fussed out the clerk. I saw him when he was at the restaurant and the food didn't come on time and he got upset and impatient. Sometimes we're the most impatient, frustrated, aggravated group of folk on the face of the earth. Well, how do Christians react to that? Then you, you want to give them a track. Here's a good track. Passed out a track yesterday at the restaurant. I said on the back, it's an address and we'd love to have you come visit with us. It tells you how God loves you. Jesus Christ died for you. You can be saved and we'd love for you to come. Now, it's one thing. Can you imagine if she would receive that track if I'd have fussed her out? You say, well, sometime a good waitress needs fussed out. Well, I don't know about that question and the answer to that question. Should she? Some waitresses are working two jobs just to survive. And some of them are just single mothers trying to make it or young people trying to make it. And they need to learn how to do their job right. And sometimes you can do that complimentary but I'll tell you, still at the same time, if you're not careful, you act like an idiot. You ever seen anybody act like an idiot at, at the restaurant? Have you ever acted like an idiot at the restaurant? Have you ever got all upset at somebody and just, and usually it's not the waiter's fault. Not always. It's usually back there, them there cooks, I think as Brother Brandon would know. It's them there cooks that cause all the problems in the kitchen. It's not the waiters and the waiters, right? Sometime. Half the time. But, you know, sometimes you don't have enough cooks or enough help. And it's all working. But a Christian ought to keep their attitude under check as best possible. And you can't do that by yielding to the flesh. It's yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. So there's that teachable being ready to be taught by God. And the things that thou hast heard and learned of others is to transmit it to other folks. Be teachable. Come unto me, all you that labor heavy laden, I will teach you. Come learn of me. And we never get too old to learn. I'm not sure what the degrees would be. I think I'm in first grade, spiritually. I've been at it since I was nine years old. But as I get older, I feel like I'm just sort of starting afresh in school again. To learn of God, to learn of God. The greatest textbook in the world is this book I have in my hand. And the greatest teacher is the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in my body. Can you imagine that, having the greatest textbook in the world and the only book that God ever wrote I have in my hand? 
the breath of heaven moved upon 40 men over a period of 1,500, 1,600 years and breathed on them. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Now, if it's profitable, it's given by God, written by holy men of God over a period of f f those 1,500 years. And when you take the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it fits together like a hand in the glove. And we start learning that, and we start learning more about God. I was reading one of the Psalms this week, and I found the word Lord over and over again. I think it was Psalms 18. But the word Lord. Then I went back and I said, well, the word Lord's there. Let me just mark how many times the word Him is there, talking about Him. So then I found several times it was Him that was talking about. Then I took the pronoun His when it said reference to God, and said God is, and so forth. The time I got through, I read Psalms 18. If I'm not mistaken, I found 35 times in just a few verses the word Lord, the word Him, the word His. I had to bow my head and say, Lord, it's all about you. It's not about me. It's not about other folks. It's about you and how you magnify yourself, how you glorify yourself, how you teach us and how you help us to learn and who you are, the rock of our salvation and the pillar that is able to be secure and to help us through the battles of life. So the Bible says that I'm supposed to be surrendered to the will of God. I'm supposed to be teachable. And a touching teaching person is one that's a learner. He wants to learn and keep on learning. He is to be a father with 1 Peter 2.2. 2. The Bible says, For even here unto you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. He left the example. I'm supposed to be just like Jesus Christ. Would you pray for me? How many of you think you've arrived? How many think you've got some room for, for improvement? Amen. That we may be improved, that we may be approved. Over 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7. We need to improve ourselves so we can be improved unto God. One day he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. God is going to improve. We're going to approve what we improve. Now by improving, I mean by that, I want to learn it. I want to keep learning it. I don't want to give up on my learning process. As long as I can learn something new and fresh, and you go to the Bible, you can learn a lot of truths regularly and daily if you would. And so the learner is important in being teachable, ordered to be taught so you can teach others. A good leader is a good follower. He learns how to follow. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, in his steps. What would Jesus do is a good question. Good leaders come from being good followers. You find somebody who can't follow instructions as an employee or as a worker, they'll never make a good leader. But if they learn how to submit to authority, no matter they may not like it, they may submit to authority, they'll one day make good leaders. And that's true of all facets of life. Good followers make good leaders. Bad followers make poor leaders. You put them in leadership ability, it'll go with their head. But if you learn the spiritual lessons of humility and walking with God, I am nothing, I have nothing apart from God. And Lord, what you teach me, help me to share with others. It's like getting salvation and sharing with somebody else. You have learned how to be saved. It's justification part. You've trusted Christ. He's come into your life to live. You trusted him as your savior. And now you want to tell somebody else. I want to tell you what God's done for me. See, that's one person who's learned something. 
They haven't learned it all, but they learned something about salvation. This is what I did. I've trusted the Lord Jesus as my Savior, and I want to tell you what God's done for me. And the Bible is no respecter of persons, and God is no respecter of persons. He can do for you what He's done for me. Let me tell you what, I, what happened to me. Apostle Paul three times in the book of Acts. Let me tell you what happened to me on the road to Damascus. So over and over again, there's that process of the Christian life, of being teachable in order to be taught, First, Second Timothy 2, 2, being a learner, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 30. He says that uh, come unto him, and learn of me, for my yoke is low, in, in, in the Great Commission. Chapter, or, or, don't be worrying, well doing. It'll get out in just a minute. Give me time. Take me time. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Learn of me. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly, and my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He said, I want you to follow in my footsteps. I want you to be just like I am. I want you to be an example to others. I think some of the greatest compliments can be paid to all of us Christians, and here's how you take it. Boy, just thank God for your life. Thank God for your ministry. Boy, you've been a real blessing to me. Now, what do you do with that? Thank Him and forget it. Don't dwell on, boy, look at me. I've been a real blessing to people because the devil will make you full of pride. Somebody says you did a great job or there's a great sermon or a great lesson. Boy, there's a great song you sung uh, today. and such a blessing in my life. You can thank him and say thank you and give God the glory and move on. Don't dwell on and say, I'm pretty good at that. I am, I am a pretty good singer. I am a pretty good, I am a good, I am a good singer. Now, I have to tell myself that over and over and over again to convince myself just to try to sing, much less to be a singer. I'm not a very good singer, and most folks would echo the truth to that. And I talk about the angels weeping in heaven and flying the flag at half-mast when I sing. But you're not going to stop me from singing as long as I can, congregationally-wise especially. And one day I'll sing the song the angels can't sing, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And what a great day that will be. So, very quickly, teachable. In order to teach others, I've got to be teachable. And if I follow that precept in the Word of God... And I want to be a learner. Come and learn of him. He says, come and learn of me. I'll show you. I'll help you. And the Holy Ghost of God becomes our master teacher to point us toward the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be a follower of 1 Peter 2.21. And then lastly, to be a transmitter. We talked about this on Wednesday night. Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Let me very quickly just wrap up what I'm trying to say tonight. It may not be very interesting to you, but I want you to understand, if we're going to be separated from the world, we've got to learn what the world is. If we're going to be separated from the world, we've got to learn what the devil's tactics are. And he's a master at destroying ruining lives. And the reason why we have so much problem in the church today, there's so much carnality. The very thing that Paul dealt with in Corinthians about the church was carnal. He says, I can't give you the meat because you're carnal. You're still a babe. And some folks have been in the church long enough, we ought to grow up take the, the spiritual meat that God has for us and chew on that meat for a while. We don't just have to stay on the elementary thing. Yeah, I've been saved and I rejoice over that. You got baptized, you ought to rejoice over that. I mean, you've been blessed of God and you can testify to that, but you go on to deeper things and deeper things. And as you read the Bible and study the Bible, you're going to find out there are some things there you never saw before. There's going to be some things there. My soul 
Isn't that wonderful? And maybe stop right where you're at, write it down, mark on it, shout a while, cry a while, laugh a while, what God's done for you. This book is a living book. It is full of truth, and it will set you free from the bondage of sin, from the problems you're facing. It'll help all of us to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I close with this tonight. You know, we talk about standards, how we look on the outside, and sometimes we probably ought to do a better job of it. But as the world looks at us, they look on the outside. They don't look at the inside. If they saw somebody coming down the street half drunk and they professed to be a Christian, they'd make a testimony of that individual. If that's a Christian, the wood's full of them. And that person may be saved and relapsed into drinking. They may be saved and having a real battle with liquor right now. You don't know the whole story, but an unsaved person sees that. You hurt the cause of Christ. You profess that Jesus is your Savior, and now here you are living a life of being indoctrinated, not indoctrinated, but intoxicated with liquor and showing yourself, acting like an idiot, as I said a while ago. And because of that, the world judges us and says, yep, that's your Christianity for you. So you name any sin you want to name, and all the world can see is the outside. They don't know all the circumstances on the inside. They don't know all the problems that you're facing. And I realize we all falter and fail along the way, but it ought to come to place. If I sin in front of you, and I, and I slip and cuss, I've never had a problem with cussing. Somebody said, why you don't have a problem with cussing? It just never was taught to me. I never heard cussing when I was, when I was a kid. My dad never cussed. My mama never cussed. My brothers and sisters, as far as I know, I've not heard them cuss. I went to church all my life since I've been born. I've never heard anybody cuss. When I started hearing people cuss, it was out there in the world. And they began to take God's name in vain. And that's a guy who's a fool. He's got a, he got a lack of vocabulary. He don't know how to talk. He's got to take the name of God in vain. Uh, he's showing how foolish he is. But the fact is, I never learned the language and never went into my spiritual digestive system. Now, can I cuss? Well, sure. I know some cuss words. Uh, you know, I, 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 had, I had real trouble with words like, can I say it? Boy, they got real quiet. They would think I'm getting ready to say something. I'd say, dag blasted. Now, that don't sound too bad, does it? But let's put the Lord Jesus over here. Here's the Lord Jesus. He's living a Christian life. And the Lord says, dag blasted. Now, the Lord's not going to say that because he's God. I know that. He's glorious God man. But he's also a man. He's tempted to do that. How you know? Because the Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So the Lord was tempted to do that. But he didn't do it. He didn't yield. Now he says, I want you to understand I can help you overcome using Bible words. And my daddy had a real remedy for Bible words. They were called washing your mouth out with soap. Now I know that's child abuse. Daddy would ask me, he said, son, where'd you learn that word at? And I'd always say, well... I don't know, I heard it at school, I think. He said, don't you ever, don't you ever say that word again in my presence. Do you understand me? And he says, I'll give you the whooping of your life. And it's just words that I didn't think were all that bad, but in his scheme of things of teaching me, they were bad. So I have trouble saying some words. Let me illustrate this. Now, some of you probably can be guilty at times. I can't say golly. I can't say, oh God. Why? Because that's taking God's name in vain. And at least that's how I grew up.
And the Bible says, take not the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So God and Daddy would not let us use the word. He may have been out in left field on this one. Gee whiz. I said, Dad, what's wrong with that one? He said, that's a form of Jesus Christ. I don't know where he got his etymology yet. He might have studied the word. I don't know. Didn't make sense to me. But there's words he would not use. So I never was used to hearing them. They didn't go in my ear, in my, in my presence, to where I didn't have to use them. Now, I've got some mad if I wouldn't cuss, but if you wrote it down, I'd probably sign it. You know, I've gotten mad a few times. And I sometimes lost my temper. Now, let me close with this. How many of you have ever lost your temper to where you really made an idiot out of yourself? Raise your hand real high. How many done it more than once? How about twice? Three times? Five times? How many of you just, you just do it all the time? And here's what you say. Well, I got a temper and that's just a habit I got. Well, does that make you a better Christian? At least you admit the problem. Now let's deal with the problem. If I have a bad temper, then I need to ask God to help me overcome. Because bad temper sometimes leads to bad language. And bad language leads to words you ought not to say that bring a reproach upon the cause of Christ. So learning through being taught, ST, surrender yourself to God, be teachable, and you can learn some lessons, and I can learn some lessons, and I'm still learning, and I want to keep learning. I don't want to be somebody who th thinks he's learned it all, and I've learned from other folks some things that I should do. I've been around Christians and preachers long enough that some of them to learn some things they do that I should be doing would help my Christian life. Be observant, be hungry, be thirsty, for a walk with God that makes a difference in your life. So I close, finally. Be ye separated from the world. Come ye out from the world, be ye separate. Love not the world, neither the things of the world, for the love of the Father is not in you. If you love the world, lust the eye, lust the flesh, and the pride of life is of the world and not of the Father. So you got to decide. You make those decisions. It helps you in making decisions. Well, what's wrong with this, preacher? Love not the world, neither things of the world. If any man love the world, love the Father is not in him. Is it in the world? Is it something that you ought not to? Have you heard the world use it? What's wrong with using a four-letter word? Love not the world. Is that the world's language or your language? Would God say it? Would the Lord, would the Lord be pleased if he was sitting right beside of me and you said those words? Until you understand they're wrong, you don't know if you're doing wrong or not. But the Holy Ghost is your teacher and always wanted to help you to learn. And, and then the, the illustration of cursing of you so many times you curse before you're saved and then after you get saved you curse and what's the difference the difference is this before I was saved I would curse not talk about myself individually but I've heard folks talk about I would curse and if somebody told me not to curse I'd say I can do what I want to do don't tell me I can't curse I can curse if I want to and you better get the blankety blank out of my face that's before you got saved now you got saved. Same situation, and you're about to curse. Or maybe you did curse. And you said something you ought not to say, and all of a sudden, boy, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. Now what do you do? God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And the person that you were talking to in front of them, that you just cussed them out, needs to hear from you. John, I'm sorry. I should have never said what I said to you. Would you please forgive me? That's the difference between a saved man and an unsaved man. An unsaved man will curse, and if nobody else has been his business, he'll do what he wants to do. A saved man will curse, 
but it bothers him. You cannot do wrong as a saved man and not bother you. It, it, it ain't there. It's going to be there. It's called conviction. It's called the Holy Spirit speaking to us to help us. And I've been there. You've been there. So may God help us to be teachable and learn how to be separated from the world. Let's stand together.